up here on the stage and I've already, you know, it's like these that have been mentioned, a little city. bit more plush, you know, so I might trip and fall and break a hip before I'm done today. If anything changes, I'm off a little bit. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church also. Well, we're going to get right with it this morning. Um, we're going to continue on in our series on breaking the chains of addiction. We started with this several weeks ago on just stopping it. And we talked about what addictions were. I'll say this before I go on. I've had some people that have asked me, how many weeks are you going to be in this series? Because uh, they haven't been to church, and they're asking me, so when I'm done with it, I guess they can come back to church. That makes it real encouraged to get up here next Sunday morning, I tell you. So there's 12 steps. We went through four of them, and so there'll be eight more weeks of this, all right? So if anybody asks you, tell them eight more weeks, they can come back to church then. It'll be Christmas. It'll be a good time to come back. But going on, um, we've talked about what addictions are, and they come in many different forms. Uh, addictions can fall into categories of both conscious and unconscious obsessions that we have. And they're not always the bad things of the world. Of course, we've talked about this. They can actually be good things. Exercise is a good thing, but if you take it out of bounds as far as starting to have a problem with addiction, uh, exercising, then you have an addiction. And of course, we've talked about what might be an addiction for you, may not be for me, and vice versa. Addiction is defined as being unable to stop even when you want to. Even when you recognize the negative impact it has on your life, you're unable to stop. At least you believe you are unable to stop. And it's a pattern of behavior that we usually develop in our life to deal with hurt. We're going to talk about more of that today. And really when it comes down to it, these addictions are a choice that leads to a behavior that's an excess that leads to bondage. And I haven't said this, and I want to say this this morning before we go on. The addiction is not the root of the problem, okay? Because I've had a couple of people ask me about this. So we're talking about dealing with whatever it is, this addiction in my life. Now we need to understand this. The addiction is not the root of the problem, okay? That is the fruit of the problem. That is what we see on the outside. So when somebody is struggling with, let's say, drugs or alcohol in their life and we see that, a lot of times, and this is a problem with AA, we try to fix that problem. It's the idea if there is a weed growing, a dandelion, and you cut it off with a lawnmower, it's going to grow back if you give it some time. And so hopefully what we're doing through this is that we're going to start to deal with the root of the problem. The root of the problem in the most general sense is that people just need to have the Lord in their life, filling that void in their life instead of these other things, but each one of our roots is going to look a little bit different on how that manifests itself in our life. So we're going to deal with the fruit of this. But before we go on and Stacey gets to the next slide, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to give you guys a test today. Okay, I've got some things up here. First of all, I've got a lantern. Okay, I've got a rope. And then we've got our chair here. So we've got a lantern, rope, and then I've got a mirror. Who can tell me which one of these things up here connects on to our first step? Our first step. What is it? 
It's the mirror. And what is the first step? Without even having it up there, tell me what the first step is. There's just one word, if you can get that one word with the first. Admit. Admit that we have a problem in our life. We get to the point where we look in the mirror, we drop all these notions that we've had about their past and ourselves and all this, and we look at ourselves and say, we've got a problem. So the first step is to admit that you have a problem. What is the second step then? And what represents that? The chair. The chair. First you have to admit that you have a problem and then that you have to believe that there is a higher power. There is some higher power out there. Now you don't understand what he's going to exactly going to do or how he's going to help you, but you believe that there is a higher power. That he has the means and the desire to help you in this is issue in your life that you're having. So then what do we have after that? We've got the mirror that's admit, believe, and then the third one is the rope, which is to release. And that is getting to the point in my life where I'm going to start to release power to God and say, look, you've got to be in control of my life. I admit that there's a problem. I believe that you are real. You have the means and desire to help me, and I'm going to start to allow you to do this in my life. I'm going to quit fighting you, quit fighting my addiction, quit fighting things in my life, and I'm going to let go. And that means that God has to be in control. So what about the lantern? That was just there to throw you off, okay? You're thinking, lantern, was that gone that week? So that is what we've been talking about, and then this week we're going to go on. We've talked about each one of these steps, and then this week is step four, and the word is inventory. Inventory, that's step four. And this is an honest self-examination of my life. I'm going to look at my life, and I'm going to do an evaluation. Now, probably not going to remember this, and I hope you don't, but, uh, well, it'd be good if you did, but... At the beginning of the year, the first week, I did pretty much the same sermon. So I'm going to do a repeat today because I talked about taking inventory of our life. I looked back at it, you know, I mean, this is where I'm at in my life with getting old and looking back at the sermon going, that's pretty good. I didn't even know I did that. So you probably won't remember either, but we're going to talk about inventory. And for inventory, we have the clipboard here. Now, every time I drive the truck, the parts truck for H&H, I do this. I go through an inventory every morning in the van because we have a manifest. It has the parts listed on there. Now I have to go through and I'm looking at what parts are in the truck and hopefully they match up on what's on the manifest. Now if I do the inventory, of course we know how it works, that I'm looking at the list because we're hoping that the list is right. Let's say it is. Sometimes it's not, but let's just say it is. And so you look at the list and you say, you know what, that part should be here. There it is that part's there, that part shouldn't even be in here. That should be on the other truck for the other route. And you might get to the point and say, that, that part's not even here, where's that at? And I have to round that up before I leave in the morning. And that is what we are going to be doing in our lives. We are going to be taking this inventory with this next step. And we're going to touch on the verse in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40. And it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. 
Simply, it's saying we need to get to the point in our lives where we do an inventory. We need to examine our lives and say, what do I need to change? What are some good things that I have and what are some things that I need to change in my life? And so this is step four. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of our life. That is step four of the 12-step program. And of course, as I mentioned, we understand what inventory is. It's something that they do in business circles. And most of the time it's done once a year. You take an inventory of what you have as far as a business. This inventory determines the assets of the present situation. And in that time that you're going to remove old stock and you're going to rearrange the stock that you have to better suit the owner. So you're looking at your business and you're saying, okay, there are certain things that I need to buy. There are certain things I've had for several years. Maybe I just need to move those out because people are going to buy them. Got to change things around a little bit. But I don't know what I have until I sit down and I do an inventory of what is out there. And the main purpose of an inventory is to determine whether there is a loss or gain. That is the main reason for an inventory. Seeing in the last year if there has been a loss or a gain in the business based on the product that you're selling. And so when we come to our lives, we're going to look at our lives and say, there are some things that I need to rearrange. There are some things that I need to change. Some good things over here. Some things over here I need to move on. Now, I mentioned this a year ago when I talked about this sermon. Maybe you've never been in a business before. Maybe you've never worked any place where you've had to take inventory. But I think of it this way. All of us have some type of junk closet, junk drawer, junk building, if you're like us. Whole entire building full of junk. And it's things that you keep shoving in there that you don't know what to do with. Okay, And then you get to the point where you say, I've got to go through that closet. I've got to go through that building or that drawer and I need to sort through some of that stuff because some of that stuff I need to keep because it's important and some of that stuff I need to toss. So we're going to start to go through the junk closet in our life and that's sorting through the stuff. And there, as I said, there's things that you need to keep but there's things that you need to let go of. And if you're like some people, you look through this drawer, you look through this closet and you say, Okay, I'm going to have a pile of stuff I'm going to keep and a pile of stuff I'm going to get rid of. And then you have this pile of stuff you're going to get rid of and then this pile, you know, the stuff you're going to keep and then you start looking and you start saying, I've got to keep that. Well, I've got to keep that. I've got to keep that. And then you get all done and you put it all back in the closet besides two things. I'll do it some other time because I had to keep a lot of that stuff. Hopefully we're going to start to let it go. The problem with doing this in our lives would be the same situation as if you're trying to clean out a closet and you are blind. Let's say you have this junk closet that you need to go through, but you are totally blind. And so now you have to clean out this closet and you can't even see the things in this closet. Because why? Because most of the time we're in denial in our lives. And so now I have to sort through this closet. I don't even know what's in there. I can't even see these things, and I can't even determine whether it's something that's good or bad. Yeah, I can feel it, but I can't tell if it's something that I should get rid of or if I should keep. I'm totally blind. 
And this is the way it is in our lives. When we start to clean out the closet of our lives, it's difficult because we can't even see the stuff that we need to start cleaning out most of the time. And that is when we need to do one thing, and that is to ask for help. We've got to have help in this step. Now, I would say it would be help from the Lord, but it's also help from people. I'm not going to try to minimize the Lord's um, role in this, but we need to sometimes ask other people who have been there, done that, cleaned out their closet, have been successful in keeping it clean, because you're not going to go to somebody that doesn't know how to clean a closet or somebody that's blind themselves. You're going to ask somebody who's been there and done that, can you help me clean out my closet in some areas? Because we can't see. So taking an inventory of my life, that means that I need to evaluate all my experiences. It reveals the things that are positive, that are beneficial, but are also negative and harmful. And it reveals strengths or weaknesses in our life. But what this step is doing is coming down to this question and asking, who are you? Who are you really? Because we do act, say certain things, think certain things, and we do not even know why we do them. We don't know. They're so much a part of us, they've been a part of us our whole life, that we don't even understand why we're doing what we're doing. You will ask somebody, and first of all, they're in denial, they don't even see us a problem, but even if they do admit, make the first step and admit that there's a problem, they don't understand why I don't, I don't know why I do this. I have no clue because I've just always done it this way. I don't see that there's anything wrong with it. So this is the work of step four. Step four and step five next week are about seeing things as they really are. And how we pretend to be and we're going to stop doing that and we're going to start to deal with stuff in our life. We've admitted that there's a problem. We've believe that there is a higher power. We're going to start to let go of this stuff in our life and let God be in control. But this is the stuff that we got to start to let go in this step. And so we have to start to identify it. And this is the reality check step as we go through the inventory of our life with this clipboard, so to speak, and we're starting to take inventory and say, this needs to change. We examine our behavior and grow an understanding of ourself in this step here. And it's seeing the part of us that have been hidden or repressed sometimes for our whole entire lives. And we see areas that we need to give attention to. We look at it and say, this is an area that I need to really work on in my life and let go of that rope and release the Lord. And I will say this about step four. Soul searching, because this is really what you're doing, is painful. This is a very, very painful step. If you're looking into your life and you've admitted there's a problem and you're now going to release it to God that you believe in and you have to be totally honest with yourself on how you are, it can be very painful. This is why most people don't make it through this step. I've talked to guys that have been leaders of a 12-step program. They say most of the time they'll never make it through this step. Most people don't. 
because they've lived in denial for so long in their life, they don't want to deal with it. And when they start to deal with this stuff, this junk in their closet of their life, it is so painful, they say, I'm not, nope, not going to deal with it anymore. I'm just going to put it all back in the closet and shut the door. I'll do it another day. Not going to do it now in my life. And you cannot go on any farther in the steps until you deal with this step right here. If you're not going to do this evaluation in your life, then there's nothing that you need to change. There's no problem. You've admitted it, but you haven't even admitted exactly what you need to change until you get to this step. Because there will be a time when we must come face to face with what's within us. And some people, when they're faced with that, they say, it's too overwhelming and I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to go back in my la-la land. And other people decide, it's painful, but I need to start to deal with it. And as I said, this reality check can cause pain, especially when we've been ignoring these issues in our life or justifying them. When we actually have to start owning them and saying, I have some issues in this area of my life, it's very painful. So as we're preparing for this step four, there's a couple things that we need to do. This is the first step to going on in this step four. Okay? The first thing that we need to do is facing the resentment and fear that control our lives. The first thing that you need to do before you even start this step. Now, this is my opinion. I believe this is biblical. I'm not going to get this in AA books. But I believe the first step is that you need to start to deal with resentment and fear in your life. That's the first step. There's two things I think that you need to do before you're ever going to do this inventory. Because resentment and fear are two issues that we need to deal with because they will hold us back from doing this inventory of our lives. Let me explain. First of all, resentment. If you look at resentment as far as a definition of resentment, it's bitter and anger we feel towards those who have hurt us or those whom we perceive as a threat to our security. Okay? Somebody has hurt me in the past, and I, I realize they've hurt me in the past, or I believe someone might hurt me today, they're probably going to be touching on the pain of the past, and so I am resentful, or another word, biblical word, bitter. I am bitter towards that person. I am angry towards them. And we have to start to deal with this resentment in our lives to start out with. Because our resentment towards people, places, or things that have hurt us keep us preoccupied and limits our ability to live in the present moment. Okay, what do I mean by that? Because we are so fixed on living in the past of somebody that has hurt us that we don't live in the present today. Somebody hurt us 35 years ago, and we live 35 years ago in that moment. And we judge this now time and season in our life based on things that happened 35 years ago. Not in this church, but the previous church we were at, I was talking to a lady and she had problems with another lady in the church and it was spilling over in the church. And I said, can you explain to me when this happened? And she said, oh, I know exactly when this happened. She said it was on Halloween 1971. She said about seven o'clock in the evening. And then she went into this. I mean, she had it down. 
She knew the, you know, the, the time, the, the temperature, the moon, what phase it was in. She had it all because she was living her life. She was so bitter at this woman, she could tell you exactly, so to speak, the, the color of the walls. Because she lived in that moment because she was so angry and bitter. She was so resentful at this person. And of course, we know this resentment causes anger, frustration, and depression. So we're living in the past because we are angry with somebody else. And if we're living in the past, we can't deal with the present issue problems in my life. So we've got resentment. And then we've got fear. By definition, it's an emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is likely to cause pain or a threat. And this is the problem with fear. Fear limits our ability to be rational. We're not rational if we're fearful, and we can't see the situation in, by its true perspective because it stops us from being honest with ourselves and others. We're fearful, so we're not even going to deal with things, and so we deny them, we just ignore them. I'm not going to have to deal with this issue. And then we respond in an inappropriate way. So the first step is we've got to deal with resentment and fear. We've got to start to deal with that stuff in our life. It's amazing how the Lord always just brings examples, you know, in the week to me. And this is one of the perfect examples. Uh, this is a guy that said this this week, and this is about finances. Now I'll explain a little bit more. He said, you can work hard and smart to get your money, then iron it and put it in a lockbox under your bed, and some idiot will come along with a butter knife, bust your lockbox open, Take your money and waste it, so you might as well spend it. That's some financial, you know, uh, you know, teaching for you there. Now, do you think there might be in this comment here some resentment? Would you agree with that? Some fear? Uh, before we're too hard on this guy, this was me that said this. Okay. <laughs> Now let me explain to you the context and the background of this, because this is going to bring this together, what I'm talking about, about being resentful and fear, okay? The context of this conversation is that we've been going through financial peace, and Stacy and I were having a conversation at home, and so I said this to my wife. Now, this was in the context of inflation, because inflation drives me insane. Do you understand that this last month that the Federal Reserve is now printing $40 billion a month into our economy? They're printing that money out of thin air. Why are they doing that? Because they wasted our money. You put more paper out there, it's worth less. People right now are going, hey, everything costs so much, the price is going up. The price is going up, that is true, but your money is worth less every day because they're printing money, and that's not my fault. You can save money, put it in the bank, and inflation happens, and it's happening rapidly, and I can't control it. It's worth less. It's a tax. It's wrong. I, so this is what I was saying about this in that context. Understand this of me, okay? My wife is a saver, 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 okay? I'm not so much because, I mean, I like to save money, but in, this is the way that my mind works. I am not going to go without and I will not spend money just you know, foolishly, but I want to have something in my hand, something that's going to be a tool. 
Now, my favorite tool is guns, and they are a tool, okay? Don't argue with me. We're going to just leave it there. Whether it's a gun, whether it's a shovel, whether it's a chainsaw, whatever it is, I, if I'm going to do it and I'm going to save money by doing whatever I'm doing, I want the tool to do it, and so I will spend the money on that. I want something in my hand, not paper. My wife would like to have you know, the savings, because that's a little bit difference between men and women there, I think also, and personalities. You have to sign up for a financial piece, you'll understand that more. So that's the way I am. But when I'm speaking here, it's out of resentment and fear because of one thing, and that is the past. This goes back to a situation that happened with my mother. My brother, long story short, five years younger than me, he was a person that could take $10 and make $100 out of it. Every time he touched $10, he made 100 bucks. At least he made 90, okay, let's say. I mean, it was unbelievable. You would not believe the stories if I told you. And I'm talking about seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. He could do that. And it wasn't just working hard, it was working smart. Most of the time it was working me hard, him working smart. <laughs> but he loved money. And at a very young age, he accumulated a lot of money. Oh my goodness. He, and he didn't spend it, though, unless he was going to make more money. He loves it so much that he would get it out and he would iron it. Okay, he would iron it, put an envelope, put a lockbox underneath his bed. And he wouldn't even spend it. He would just get it back out, count it, iron it again like it got wrinkled underneath the bed. You know what that does to an iron? Not good. All right? Gets all black. He puts the money in a lockbox underneath his bed. My mother, one night, she was going to go out and party, and she didn't have any funds. She took a butter knife, broke the lock off that box, and she took that money. It was gone hundreds hundreds of dollars was gone like that it was gone and i was so angry about that oh my goodness i could i was even more angry because of my brother's reaction he said you know what oh well that's life i'll start making it back tomorrow always oh, tomorrow it's just a setback just keep making it and I was so angry about that. And I even said to him, you know what? I buy guns and I do this other stuff with my money. I don't save it like you. But you don't see you know, her taking my guns and slapping them down at the bar, okay? I'm glad she never thought of it. And it made me angry. Even probably a year ago, I brought this same situation up with her about the lockbox. She didn't remember and at that point. Back in the day, you know, because we're talking 30 years ago, she said, oh, I'll pay him back. I'll pay him back. You knew that was never going to happen. And this was the other thing she kept saying. No kid that age needs that amount of money. So that justifies you just taking it and blowing it for your addiction, fueling your addiction. And so there might be some issues of resentment and fear there in my life. And so that comes out, and my wife, she knows the story, so she wasn't surprised, but people say this stuff, and you look at them and go, what? Putting in a box and somebody a butter knife? What are you talking about? Because something in their life. And so this is the stuff that we need to start to first admit, recognize, and start to deal with in our life before we can do the evaluation. Because this is the area that it starts to go into, okay? I need to sort through my closet because I have some resentment, which comes out as retaliation towards my wife. Is it her fault? 
Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with her. Self-pity, which leads to depression. And so if I'm going to do an evaluation, I realize, man, I've got to start to work on some of this stuff in my life. This depression. That is the fruit. I need to go back to the root of the situation. And the fear. Resistant to change, fight for survival, and I always expect loss. And so I need to start to work on these areas in my life. And it is a result, unfortunately, of the past. And the past is now affecting how I'm thinking today. It's not rational to think that somebody is going to take a butter knife and take my money away. Is it? It's not going to happen. Go try to get my gun safe. It weighs a ton. You can have them if you can get in there with a butter knife, all right? The resentment I need to start to let go of. Because now they dictate how I look at things. So first of all, we've got to start to face this resentment in our life, and we have to start to deal with the fears also. The second step is recognizing and facing our denial. And it's amazing to me the power of denial with people. There's the quote out there, out of sight, out of mind. And if we don't ever have to see it, we don't have to deal with it. And unfortunately, this denial is a survival skill that we learned in our childhood, and it protects us from feeling because we could not control our family environment, and most of the time it was bad, so we just deny that it even happened, even anything was ever wrong. And the problem with it is it stunts our emotional growth by keeping us in this make-believe world. So the first thing is we've got to start to deal with this fear and resentment. The second thing is we have to start dealing with our denial. It blows me away that we live in a country right now where we are just living all in denial of what's going on. With our culture, with our government, everything. We're just, well, it'll be okay. It's always been okay. It's not going to keep being okay. We've got to start making some decisions. Realize that we've ran out of time, but I want to touch on these. These are some forms of denial. There's just simple denial, and that is to pretend that it just does not exist when it really does. I'm just saying it does not exist. We minimize to acknowledge a problem, but we really don't see how bad it is or the impact on other people. Blaming to recognize a problem, and then we blame someone else for the cause. Excusing to give excuses, justification for behavior. I don't know what to call this last one. I, I just put it as generalizing. To give a reason for something that just happens, it just, just happens. And that removes my personal responsibility. My mother used to say, well, this stuff just happens. No, it doesn't just happen to people. Okay? This is a result of your bad decisions. Don't blame it on it just happening. Certain things just happen. Certain things happen because of choices. And going back to the relationship that I had with my mother, it drove us insane. Because she would do something, and then she'd flat out deny it. I mean, if you would hook her to a lie detector test, she'd pass it. She truly did not believe. She couldn't deal with it in her own mind that she did it. Most of the time, she was just so, you know, out there, she couldn't even remember it. But she had to remember some of that stuff. 
And she just said, absolutely no, it did not happen. I wish that we lived in the day that we do today. I'd have like cameras up, you know, to prove it to her. It wouldn't have made any difference. You could have showed it to her on a screen and she would have not believed it. And if she did believe it, she would have minimized it or she would have turned it around to blame you in some way. And you'd have been going, sorry, sorry, I even brought it up. And that is the power of denial. So as we end this here and just the preparing for the four steps, that is to recognizing the fact to some degree that denial has been operating in our lives. We've got that there. And doing a search that is um, fearless and that we're taking moral inventory of our life requires that we have a fear remover. And there's only one. The Bible tells us that God is love and that perfect love drives out all fear. 1 John 4.18 So really what you're doing is a God search here. You're saying, God, I want you to search my life. I'm opening it up. It's going to be painful. But there's these things from my past that are causing me to be resentful, to fear. And there are things that I am denying here. And I'm asking you to point those out to me. I'm open to it. And it's really asking God for the courage to face those areas that we have been protecting by denial in our lives. Because they're too hard to deal with. And that requires honesty, willingness to even do it, openness, and humility. All those things. So there's three things I want to share as we wrap this up. As I'm taking inventory of my life quickly, number one, I need to be honest. John 8.32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've got to get to a point where you're honest with yourself about some issues in your life. Because there's always room for growth. And it's easy for us to lie to ourselves, and we can distort our self-image and make ourselves look better than we really are. I'm concerned when people say to me, I want to know when we're done with this series so I can come back, because this does not affect me at all. I am good. Okay, we've all got things that we need to work on. Just showed you this morning, there's things that I admit that I need to work on. Nobody's exempt from this. Nobody's better than this. Nobody needs to be ashamed of this. But you need to be honest with yourself. And taking this spiritual inventory means that we need to take an honest look at who we are, and that means the first person is being honest with yourself. So be honest. The second one is to be transparent. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who cover their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. And many times these issues continue in our life because why we hide it. We, we want them to be gone. Maybe we've you know, admitted that there's a problem there, but we hide them continually, and they continue to happen. And of course, we've talked about hypocrisy, and as pretending to be something on the outside that we're not real on the inside. And I've shown these two pictures before. Hypocrisy is trying to project, put this smiley mask on of who you know we want people to see but the reality is on the inside we're people that are hurting we have these issues 
And so we need to be transparent with ourselves because we've told ourselves for so long that that is not an issue, that that's not a problem, that we believe the lie ourselves. People around you don't believe it. The Lord sure doesn't believe it. But we believe it ourselves. We've got to keep believing it. We've got to be honest. We've got to be transparent. And the third thing is we need to stop making excuses. Romans 1.12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You need to quit blaming your parents. You need to quit blaming whoever. I can keep blaming my mother for the rest of my life, but that doesn't change the now, the present circumstances that I'm in. Not going to change that if I keep blaming her. I have to stop making excuses for, you know, my failures, blaming other people. And I've got to stop seeing myself as a victim of circumstances. Because if you see yourself as a victim of circumstances, that's all you're ever going to be as a victim. With everything. Because it's, whoa, it's the government. Whoa, it's the church people. Whoa, it's whoever. You will always be a victim instead of giving account for ourselves because we're all going to have to do that. So when it comes to taking this inventory of our lives, it doesn't have to be all done at once, but it needs to be done. Just like when you get to that junk closet, you look at it and you say, I don't even know where to start. That is such a mess. Where am I even going to start? You start by doing something little. Okay, I know this. I'm going to use the building example. We have a building full of projects and junk. And I walk out there and look at it and go, I need to do that. I'll do that another day. What do I try to do? I try to get one project done out there. One thing done because it moves that much out of that building. Stain the doors. You know, rebuild the front end I got out there. Do this one thing this week. One thing. That's it. If I try to do it all at once, I can't do it. I see what needs to be done. I put it in priority, you know, priority and then I start to do it. It comes with one section at a time. And I will say this also. This self-closet inventory that we've been calling it here, it can bring up um, these items that we're emotionally connected on from the past. Okay? What I'm saying is that when you start cleaning out the closet, you look at this thing and go, oh, that's, I need to get rid of that, but we got that on vacation back in 1974. I don't know why I've had that all these years, but I just, maybe I should, I, I'll put it back in there. We do that in our own lives. When we start to deal with this stuff in our lives and cleaning out the closet, there's emotional baggage connection on with it. And we need to say, okay, yes, I understand that this resentment I have because of the situation, I just need to let go of. I need to put that in the throwaway pile and not look at it and get rid of it. My wife tries to get rid of stuff, and you know what I do? Get set up for the Indians. I wait till she's gone and I dig back through it and put it in the building. I'm not a hoarder, but you know, you might need that stuff. You just put it in the pile. You don't look at it, and you just walk away. And there are certain things in your life that you just walk away from. Because the purpose is not to dwell on the past or assign blame. That's not why you're going through this closet. 
The purpose is to understand our current behavior patterns. Why I do what I do. Why do I react that way? And then I say, is it good or is it bad? I'm reacting this way, so why am I reacting this way? Oh, it's because of my past and this happened. And I don't say, I'm so ticked off at my parents about it. I don't try to blame anybody else. I just go, this is why I act that way and it's not good. So I'm putting it in the get rid of pile and I'm walking away from it. So we've ended each week with the heart condition prayer and this is really the heart condition. It's saying, dear God, it is I who have made my life a mess. I've done it, but I cannot undo it. My mistakes are mine and I will begin a searching and fearless moral inventory. I will write down my wrongs, but I will also include which, that which is good. I pray for the strength to, com to complete the task. And so, in the back today, I don't know where the pile is for sure, I've got some sheets that I put together. Now, I've taken them from the AA, I've taken them from some different counseling books, I've even put some of my own in there, and it's pretty self-explanatory on going through this self-inventory because maybe you can do it, maybe you can sit down and say, these are some things I need to work on. But if you're like me, you need something to kind of spur on that thinking. To look through and say, these are some areas I need to work on. Because it points out areas. And it will walk you through it. It's, I think, what is it, like 12 pages, Stacy? So I didn't, I didn't run off a lot because, once again, we're, we're kind of cheap here. And so I don't want to run off a lot that people aren't going to pick up. So I think there's only like 15 copies back there. But she does have a sign-up sheet. So if you want one of them, sign up. We'll run some more off. We'll get them to you. And as I said, all it is is just um, some worksheets to help you start to work through some of this stuff that's in your closet. So I leave you with this question. What areas of your life do you suspect that denial is at work? That you're kind of sweeping it underneath the rug. You don't want to see it. You don't want to have to deal with it. And that is when you pick up this inventory checklist and go, okay, today I'm going to start to deal with it. Not all at once. I don't even know what I even have to start to deal with. Might even get some help in this because I need some outside help. But I'm starting to work on this area in my closet. And maybe there's some good things here and I'm going to put them down. Well, that's a good thing that I do. And there's some things that are going, really, if I was honest with myself, that's very destroying. And then I'm going to give them to the Lord. Close the word of prayer. Lord, you know us as people that we try to hide from you, we try to hide from others, and we try to even hide from ourselves. And Lord, I pray through this step that we are talking about today that we would recognize that there are some, some things in our life that we need to change, that we've carried around our whole life, and it's just, it doesn't make any difference if we're 16 or we're 106, we need to start to deal with them. And Lord, there's also some things in our life that we've experienced and the way that we are with our personalities and our background that are some really good things. And we need to take inventory of those also and hold on to them. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know the difference. And I pray that we would be willing, we would be humble, but we, we, we would be people that would be um, courageous and starting to deal with this stuff in our life instead of shoving it in the closet, so to speak, for, forever. And Lord, once we start to deal with this, just like with cleaning out a closet, we know that we feel relief, um, we don't have to worry about it, and then we can use that space for something else. 
instead of just using it for our junk. And Lord, this only happens through your spirit. And so I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and just take us through this next step. Because if we don't even start to deal with this stuff, we're just stopped right here. If we don't even, once we've admitted, we don't even know what we're admitting, then how are we going to allow you to start working on things in our life? And so, Lord, just pray that you just give us that heart. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Yep. Hey. Yeah. So you have my twisted financial. Just bend it. Somebody's gonna take it anyway. Yeah. I know. It's been it's been good since we've been going through the financial piece, though. So it's bringing. It's not causing problems. It's just like revealing things that you know we've had some great conversations that. Good. So, it's been good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that.